0: history when it's interesting when it's at its most interesting is usually not heroic tales it's usually like it's usually grim and bleak like you know what i mean that's when it's like the most interesting stories or when you're like
1: no, oh god it's your your version of history well
0: well okay so no no no. but i mean <laughs> i should i shouldn't say it like that I, I don't mean it like but it's it's like the really <laughs> compelling tales are well i mean think about it what what do you know better shakespearean tra- uh, comedies or, or tragedies
1: that I'm not the person I'm not the person to ask that question because I have all his complete works because I am a bit of a Shakespeare weirdo. Okay. <laughs> you found the one artist that is like, yeah, that's not the one to use. But I get the point.
0: Right. Most so. people most people are most people don't know mm-hmm. much Shakespeare, but they certainly know Romeo and Juliet and probably right. little else. Um, but when they do know Shakespeare, it's usually like it's Hamlet, it's Macbeth, it's Romeo and Juliet. Um, most people don't know as you like it, you know what I mean. Right. Even even though they've seen twelve movies that are based on that
1: play, or his poetry, which is some of my favorite stuff he has. <laughs> sure.
0: Are you? What is that? There's a a whole field of um, people who doubt the authorship. Um, oh, I, of, don't, that I don't
1: get in. I, don't I was just curious if you ever. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I just appreciate. It's kind of like watching a movie. Like I'll use Denzel Washington. No, mm-hmm. not him. Let's use Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise makes really entertaining movies. The last movie but he, star. But well, he's a weirdo. Oh like, yeah. I, like, you know, so it's kind of the same thing for me. It's like I whether he did or didn't do it, I don't really care. I can appreciate the the work itself.
0: Sure. I mean, there I yeah, I struggle with this, especially in the in as they say, in these modern times. Um there are certain people for whom I have I just can't, I can't view them in the same way, whether I want to or not. It's, it's become uh, an impossibility. I mean, I'm not going to stop watching a movie that was produced by Harvey Weinstein because, you know, I mean, that doesn't affect the movie. You know what I mean? That just affected
1: the funding. I watched two of them last week.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, that's what I mean.
1: So like that,
0: that's nothing, but like American beauty. I'm sorry. I I don't think I can go back to that movie ever again. It's too, it's too (laughs) weird. Um, do do you know what I mean? Like there's just certain movies. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. I guess it just depends.
1: I was just going to say, I compare it to kind of the new England Patriots and the whole the plate gate and Mm -hmm. the recordings and all that stuff. Everybody's doing that shit. Just some people get caught at it and that doesn't mean it get okay. But if we really knew the inside track on most of these people who we consider artists in Hollywood, right we wouldn't we wouldn't watch hardly anything, probably because they're all sure. kind of a little bit off,
0: <laughs> yeah, they're all psychopaths i mean you you kind of have to be to pursue this sort of thing i mean yeah you there there's a there's a psychopathy that's just built in, it's the same as politicians um it's uh it's like you know what what's the whole like you um anybody who wants to be president is already a a psychopath um and when when you hear like every once in a while, you'll hear these like Uh, weirdo stories of some some politician or some some politics guy who's like when i was six years old i heard you know reagan speak at a rally and that was the day i decided i and it's like that is psychotic like that is an absolutely psychotic thing to say that at like at six years old number one that you were at a political rally like that's psychotic and then at six, yeah. you were like, yeah, this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I mean, I'm sorry, six-year-olds that know what they want to do with the rest of, for the rest of their life, that's not normal. We should not glorify that. <laughs> that's weird. You know what I mean? Like, that is crazy stuff.
1: Uh Ooh, at to be six, a basketball player.
0: Let's I mean, be honest. And at, at six, you know, at six years old, you should, you know, it's perfectly reasonable to say, I want to be a unicorn. Like, that's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> to have decided that you wanted to be president or something it's like oh my god what is there's something wrong with your brain um we should keep you away from the levers of power forever you should never ever have any power i'm not even sure we should let you drive
1: that's that's a great decision
0: Check out the stars later,
1: it's really trippy. Especially on weed, man. Then I said, barmaid, set us up around that Colorado Kool-Aid. While you're up there, bring this big fella here a box of band-aids. Huh, I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this. I was thinking the same thing. That John Denver's full of shit, man
0: completely unbalanced
1: come on now brian that's pretty awful oh my god <laughs> he's unbalanced this guy is a lunatic these men lived in a much different time god we got some kooky people back in this time
0: it's not obvious that we are professionals you are not paying attention we know what we're doing <laughs> but i'm serious can we start already Welcome back to Unbalanced Views of History. I'm Brian, just a dude who turns out to be kind of a historical masochist. Either that or uh, it's just that so, so much of American history is bleak, dark, and painful to learn. Anyway, uh, as always, I'm joined by my friend Mike, who never fails to find the silver lining for small business owners in every massacre, tragedy, or dystopian hellscape that I present to him. He's basically the Spice Adams rubbing his hands together meme. Every time he learns about a tragedy, I dread how excited he'll be when unspeakable horrors coincide with money-making opportunities for early adopters or whatever. How's it going, Mike? 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 Oh, no. No, unfortunately, Mike is out sick and can't defend himself. So we will pick on him throughout the episode. We wish him a speedy recovery and hope this whole thing just tortures him. Joining me again this week is a man who does not relish profiting from human misery, though he's not opposed to causing a little. He is our resident unbalanced Colorado expert and guy with an unhealthy lust for lemons that, now that I'm thinking about it, is also like the Spice Adams meme. It's Garrick. Welcome back to the show, my friend. I uh, I, I hope you're ready to carry the load of two men this week. Not like it's the first time you've ever had to carry a couple men's
1: loads. I was going to say that phrase makes me a little uncomfortable. (laughs) I did have a thought though. You know, we may actually make it through this recording in record time without Mike having to be here and have (laughs) half of this stuff explained to him. (laughs) Mm. Hey, it's shot number one across the bow. There we go.
0: (laughs) We love you, Mike. Get well soon. Uh, Or, you know, whatever. I mean, get well soon. Yes. (laughs) Anyway. All right. So
1: it's relative.
0: Yeah, everything's relative. <laughs> God, he's, he's, yeah, this, yeah. Anyway, um, be like, oh, listen, Mike, we went ahead to the episode without you. You just need to listen to pick up on the story so you know where to come back in. Um, and then I will know for sure if he does. To so be like you, mother.
1: <laughs> Are you sure? How will you know for sure? Because he seems he will, lost most of the time. <laughs> I,
0: I think as soon as he hears this part, he'll he'll immediately text me and be like,
1: Minigon. <laughs>
0: uh so garrick in a grim world of darkness and inhumanity i find it useful to occasionally focus on the positives in the world around us so with that said what's your sunshine this week buddy
1: oh geez my sunshine it's a beautiful bluebird day today and we had no snow in colorado this week outside of just a dusting
0: nice it's march <laughs> so, you're supposed to get snow in march it's it's uh we we get springtime
1: we get snow all the way into may
0: it's now
1: that doesn't make sense it's
0: springtime it's
1: uh
0: <laughs> like eighty six degrees here today i was uh it was like just like that it was summer in Florida,
1: yeah, we'll talk again in a few <laughs> months and see who's living the better life <laughs> I know yeah no
0: we're in our uh we're at the tail end of our sweet spot right now this is uh you know the last last month and a half before uh before you go, my God, why does anybody live here let's see um i don't know what my sunshine is this week uh we get to try something new doing a doing a sick uh sick co-host uh podcast i guess and in the beautiful (laughs) weather and i'm outside and and doing some things and i don't know just a good time to be alive and uh it's weird Uh, you know in march february and march here is when like all the leaves fall off the trees well you know like that it's just completely insane but like the leaves don't really fall i mean some of them fall in in the uh, the autumn but like doesn't really happen that much. They don't all fall off, but essentially, once the buds come out on the trees, they like push the dead leaves off. They don't actually fall; they just like they get sho- shoved out. So we, we're literally just you know, sweeping, sweeping the deck like every day, and every day it's just like, oh my god, like how, how could it? Po- I, I you know you stop and you go. I swept yesterday, right? Like there can couldn't possibly be this many leaves from just like one overnight. But that's good because it's uh it's leaves first and then uh every morning we come out and you get like about a half an inch thick pollen on uh, on everything that you own so we're uh we're in uh, we're full blown allergy season this is when you should come visit be a blast mm-hmm. you would never leave the bedroom you'd just be mm-hmm. stuck
1: it's like, uh, i'd take a shower like for 23 straight hours
0: uh, yeah it's no it's <laughs> we're it's not quite there the the one thing about the pollen here is that it's so big that it can't actually fit into your nose um like so you can't actually inhale any of it because it's like <laughs> chunks of pollen like like snowflakes Jeez. um yeah it's pretty pretty cool pretty pretty cool anyway so my sunshine this week is the actual sunshine okay yes. i like it yeah all right well uh so <laughs> i have here well gentlemen well so uh <laughs> we left <laughs> you'd off last
1: he'd lie- be lying if mike was here anyway let's be honest that's a fair point still only one of two in that scenario
0: I I tried to be kind. Um, So we left off last time with America's capitalist system doing a full-blown capitalism, rubbing its dirty capitalism all over America's collective face. Talking about the panic of 1857, where speculation ruined thousands of ordinary people's lives. People who had nothing to do with the wildly irresponsible behavior of a few wealthy elites, you know, Um, this this is something we're not used to dealing with. Thankfully, government stepped in. They created a jobs program, a work guarantee for all Americans. They tightened financial regulations to protect the innocent from the irresponsible. You know, they protected the regular folks from the greedy few. They nationalized railroads and other essential industries to promote safer, more secure existence for all Americans. What I'm saying is America learned all the right lessons from the crash, and the country was better for everyone. I want to real quick. I want to Google this real quick, uh, just to see how things went wrong. Because I know, hold on.
1: Well, I was going to ask a question. Like, yeah. is, is is this like, are you are we in fiction land now, or a dystopian future, or or is there something else going on? Because, well, according to
0: Google, oh <laughs> uh, oh oh my God! Oh God! Oh, <laughs> I guess I was wrong. Uh, geez, I remember. Remember, everybody talking about how great America used to be, and I just figured, surely after the economy crashed, that, you know, the people responsible would have been punished and innocent people would have been protected. I just figured somewhere we must have gone wrong after that. Huh. Weird. Uh, It says here, the government said we sympathize with the innocent victims, but they're poor, and doing something would make rich people slightly less rich. So, you can see our predicament. All fellow
1: members of the Roman Senate, hear me. Shall we continue to build palace after palace for the rich? Or shall we aspire to a more noble purpose and build decent housing for the poor? How does the Senate vote? Fuck the poor! Good.
0: (laughs) So, unfortunately, before the guillotine could separate President James Buchanan's pasty head from his doughy body, William Green Russell found gold in Colorado on land controlled by other people people whose economy wasn't based on gold. People signed a treaty to allow migrants to cross their land safely, putting great stress on the resources they needed. In exchange, they were supposed to receive annuities and make up the sh- to make up for the shortfall, and the American government rose to the challenge, recognizing they had a moral obligation and an ideological one based on the principles of life, liberty, and property to adhere to their own constitutional dictates. They would meet their obligations, as a moral nation, uh, sorry, I meant to uh, Google how America did this exactly, and I did. not Give me just a second to Google this. Uh, I want to see how America forged a tolerant society of peaceful coexistence in the West. And oh, oh God, oh God, it's it's oh, it's really bad. It's really it's whew. okay. All right, well, uh, okay, I guess we're all caught up. That's our refresher. Um, <laughs> I will uh, I'll, uh, I'll try and Google this stuff ahead of time from now on because uh, real egg on my face. Um, so
1: clearly, you just don't know how to search properly.
0: <laughs> so uh, I'm going to have to drink heavily to get through this one. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So um, are you, uh, you ready for what, according to Google, was an absolute shit show?
1: Sure, absolutely. Let's do this.
0: All right. Let's do some history. So. Last time we looked at the spiritual spiritual implication of horses, uh, and today I want to ask, what is gold?
1: What is gold? You like opening. Well, first of all, it's, would that be a mineral, or am I not a scientist?
0: Yeah, it's a mineral,
1: <laughs> it's a metal, sure, it's, sure. It's a metal. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to quote John Oliver, right? I don't know if you've ever watched it, but you know, did sure. he, he say? something along the lines of the one thing that nobody everybody wants that nobody has kind of like a or needs like a kardashian or something like I, sure. I butchered his statement but there you go it's sure. there you go see if i can
0: find that quote in post and just sneak it in there Yeah, right? so,
1: exactly yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um no i mean at the at the core of what it's supposed to be right it was supposed to be the foundation that that kind of backed up the dollar but that was before we started printing the dollar and, and you know at, at will every what's eight to 12 months is that what it was now I forget. yeah every eight to 12
0: days (laughs) um no now we loan money into existence um quite literally that's how our system works we loan it into existence it's good um but the gold standard is bad too like because you know that's a prop what is going on that is a problem as well for a variety of reasons because there's a finite amount of gold and uh and it gets hoarded (laughs) and so that's a problem too um Well, the reason
1: I asked the yeah, I was going to sidetrack a little, but does it matter? Mm -hmm. Like, and what I mean by that is, like, we of course when it started, it was founded on this thing. But if you're just making up the rules as you kind of go, which we all know people do, does it really need to be based on anything, or is that just something that's meant to cause confusion?
0: So that's this is an excellent point. I mean, if uh, our financial system today is based on the full faith and credit of the United States, which means I'm mean, exactly like it means nobody knows what that means. Um but the the truth of the matter is gold is not a whole lot different. Like we think of I mean gold at least is something tangible, right? But like the thing about gold is and I think even today <clears throat> gold has a there's something about gold that is distinct from just like the dollar. Like there's something about gold I I'm, I'm going to argue that's sort of like horses in that it opens men uh, men's minds. So like, in a way that is, you know, like, sort of, uh, for, for whatever reason, that it sort of uh, opens up possibilities that that were sort of prior to that, you know, for, prior to, like, discovery of gold, impossible to even imagine. So, uh, like I did with horses, how horses open up these sort of, um, these spiritual realms, every culture that's ever adopted the horse has, like, had some sort of spiritual awakening. Gold's similar. For Christians and Buddhists, uh, gold is like an earthly reminder of heaven, a call to perfection um gold adorns the statues of siddhartha uh lines medieval chalices adorns altars right i mean gold is all throughout christian churches and um sure you know and and like i said even in 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 buddhist temples uh in oliver cromwell's day the english used to carry slivers of gold in their mouth in order to ward off plagues like because of the magical qualities of it The Irish would rub gold wedding bands on unwanted warts in order to remove them because of the medicinal qualities they believed. (laughs) Alchemists like Isaac Newton saw in gold a hope for human enlightenment. Um, Most people don't realize because they think of uh, Isaac Newton as like the physics guy. But like his whole life's work was like trying to figure out how to turn lead into gold. And the reason that he cared so much and everyone else did so much was not just about the gold. It was also to prove that it was possible uh, to transform, like, the mind from its base urges into tra- spiritual transcendence. Transforming lead into gold would demonstrate man's ability to sort of transcend nature, you know, right? Like, the natural course of things. You know, lead is a natural element. Transforming it into a different element would prove man's ability to do this. This is sort of part of, like, what the enlightenment is kind of all about, uh, to, to a greater or lesser degree incans um believed that uh gold was solar fragments that had fallen to earth the aztecs called it teoquadl the excrement from the sun
1: yeah can you say that like 10 times fast
0: no i butchered it like i <laughs> i cannot speak Nahuatl at all um like n- not at all i Isn't i can't a- do
1: isn't that uh, like a mini-mart in Philadelphia, yes. in the Pennsylvania nahua. area?
0: <laughs> now, even in saying Nahua, I know I'm pronouncing it wrong because I do not know how to make the T-L sound in Nawa. It is like N-W-A-L, and then I yep. don't know how to do it.
1: Speaking so, of being uncomfortable,
0: thanks. So, yes, teo is as close as I'm getting. Um, but, you know, I do like to throw these words out there because, like, the Aztecs didn't call it excrement from the sun. They called it teo which meant excrement from the sun which i love for some reason um in fact like sacrificial victims to here we go i get to do a little more nawa uh sacrificial victims to zipe Totec, the aztec god of goldsmiths and spring rains would be painted black and then bright yellow on top of the black as an offering that begged each year that the earth would receive a new skin dozens of cultures associate gold with the source of all life on earth the sun um Gold's a weird metal, right? It's nearly use- useless for productivity. It's heavy and it's soft. It makes lousy tools. It makes lousy weapons. It's inert. It doesn't combine with other elements in nature like like other elements do. I mean, not all. Obviously, Some there are other inert elements. But, um, but this is sort of how gold gets the mystique of being incorruptible. Because it it's can't pretty. be corrupted. It's rare and it's shiny. And like I said before, like horses, it has the power to transform men's minds, inspiring great environmental transformation, right? Uh, The Argonauts of the 1850s and 60s sought their own golden fleece and their adventures and in the process reshaped the region and the nation. So I am going to use this term Argonauts quite a bit. um, So I'm just throwing that out because the story of Jason and the Argonauts from Greek mythology is that they were the heroes that went off to find the golden fleece. So those who go off to find gold,
1: Argonauts. Okay. Well, and since we're in Colorado, that is the name of the liquor store in downtown. So ah, there go. Nice. And it's also <laughs>
0: the, the name of the CFL Toronto football team. That's right. So <laughs> the, the Toronto gold diggers. Mm. Uh, better than the gold brickers that work for the CIA and have been uh, complaining about Havana Sidra, But that's still another uh, another thing altogether. Okay. Sorry. That's a story that has been percolating in my mind that I find absolutely hilarious.
1: This is not a political podcast. No, that is
0: correct. That is correct. That is correct. (laughs) That's very funny though. All right. (laughs) So stories of gold in the Rockies circulated since the 1810, I should say since at least the 1810 publication of Zebulon Pike's expedition notes. Um, Everybody knows Lewis and Clark, right? And their expedition, for some reason, I don't know a lot of people outside of Colorado that know Zebulon Pike.
1: Yes. Well, well though, no, but also like that is not a name that we hear anymore. Like that is a name that needs to get brought back. Zebulon is kind of fantastic. <laughs> it's So, all right, yes it is. My guess is no, I don't know the name, but I just knowing that last name, it he has to be Pike's Peak, a, to yeah, have a tie to Pikes Peak, of course.
0: Yeah. So uh, Lewis and Clark went off to explore the the uh, Louisiana Territory, but they weren't the only ones. There were like several expeditions sent out. One of them was Zebulon Pike, who who went all the way to Colorado and saw the Rockies, and went down to New Mexico, and and came and back. Came back. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <And> came back. <laughs> I know, I know you hate New Mexico. It. We we got it. <laughs>
0: I want to be be fair.
1: New Mexican food, fantastic. And controversial, I will say it. Colorado, hear me say this, they would hate me, but New Mexican green chili is better. Okay. Bar none. But that's about the only redeeming quality down there. (laughs) Good good to know. know, I've never (laughs) been to
0: New Mexico, so I really can't say. Um, I don't know. Anyway, Zebulon Pike, um, when he, in 1810 his expedition notes were published and of course you know everybody sort of gobbled those things up right there was like oh man like learning about this all this land and all that was acquired in the louisiana purchase and he went way beyond the louisiana purchase obviously colorado was not but anyway as part of in within those uh those expedition notes pike recalled a trapper named purcell who claimed to find gold along the south platte river now Pike asked Purcell for evidence and Purcell claimed that he threw his pouch of gold dust away, which you know, raises questions to be sure. <laughs> um, but like, but the point is there were stories about gold sort of or much earlier on. In 1823, uh, a group found silver in the Raton Mountains just south of the Rockies in New Mexico, or right around New yeah. Mexico. In 1833,
1: Don't huh? Don't drive through there. Speed traps everywhere. (laughs) I
0: I would say any place called the Rat Mountains is bound to have speed traps. In 1833, uh, trappers claimed they found, quote, good color, end quote, by Clear Creek between Comanche and Cheyenne lands, like in the the contested terrain between them. Um, A writer and mountain man Rufus Sage spun wild tales of a French trapper who found and then threw away gold flakes there, uh, and then he he told stories of Arapahos who had defeated Pawnees with bullets made partially from gold, which we just talked about not a good metal for weapons, but they, you know, had like dipped their bullets in gold or whatever. It should be noted that mountain men and trappers
1: marshmallows at people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's a bizarre story, but uh, it should be noted that mountain men and trappers were like, uh, who were the most common source of all these stories were also well known as the most accomplished liars in the West. Um, so, all of these stories sort of got out and people might read them and it would spark the idea of gold, but nothing was really secure. Before 1858 uh, indigenous people sort of uh, were able to look at horseback riders and see how power could be wielded relationships transformed with the horse for white folks, though, the stories of gold held the same kind of allure, um, but they were as yet only stories kind of wishes in a fountain Um You know, dreams on a breeze, whatever. Um, You know, unlike, like I said, like indigenous people who could sort of literally see how the horse would transform, you know, uh, power relationships. For white people, they had to wait. During the California gold rush, uh, gold seekers and ranchers on their way to California first tried uh, the Colorado Creek beds, right, as they went through. And again, some reports emerged, including one by a trapper named Civil John. And I have to say, if your name is Civil John, I... I have to say, you probably have done some pretty uncivil stuff, right? Like, if you're like, no, 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 I'm Civil John, you've got to have a bad past. Like, there's no way, you know, but, it's like Honest John, you, you know, oh, I'm Honest John, you know.
1: But you said Simple John at first, mm. and I went to Simple Jack from Traffic Thunder. Mm. <laughs> sure, Simple Jack. Different, completely Dif- different. Completely, <laughs> uh, completely different.
0: Uh, anyway, civil John claimed that he saw uh, gold nuggets bubbling in a spring. Now, again, these reports are largely ignored. I mean, people kind of read them and maybe it sort of planted a seed, but they're largely ignored because people believed California gold was a sure thing. So it's like, well, we could stop in Colorado land that we don't that the United States doesn't have control of. You know, that's not real. That's that's that is by treaty belongs to, to indigenous people. And we could roll the dice that maybe we'll find something. Or we could go to California, where we're obviously all going to find tons of gold and get rich. But anyway, more important, perhaps the eastern range of the Rockies was unorganized territory, so even if you found gold, you couldn't register claims or protect those claims from people who, again, according to treaty, rightfully and legally controlled the land. So this obviously presents a, pro- a problem for white folks who might want to do some gold gold bugging in uh, in the east on the the eastern range um, of the Rockies. Now. The Kansas-Nebraska Act in 1854 organized the region politically. Uh, Colorado was part of Kansas, and uh, but the explosion of violence between pro-slavery and abolitionist forces in what was called uh, "Bleeding Kansas" depressed western migration until 1858, when uh, Kansas voted against slavery. So, are you familiar with the Bleeding Kansas, with the idea of Bleeding Kansas? I am not actually ever heard of this. Okay, this is there's some crazy stories here. So just to give a quick background that I didn't include in the script, but just to to fill you in really quick. When the Kansas Territory was organized, uh, you know where Kansas is, just directly due east of Kansas is Missouri. Well, the Missouri Compromise had been the law of the land. And the Missouri Compromise said that slavery was going to be outlawed west of Missouri at the southern border of Missouri. So you drew a line at the southern border of Missouri all the way across the country to wherever that whatever territory the United States ended up having. And you couldn't have slavery north of that southern border. So if you think about Kansas and, and Missouri butting up against each other, you could see how this becomes a problem when Kansas actually is a becomes a territory of the United States and, and is organized and controlled. Because it means that this guy over here in Missouri can have slaves, but this guy over here in Kansas living right next door to him cannot. And that is going to present problems if the two of them are competing on the marketplace.
1: Sure. Okay. Cheaper I mean, goods and services.
0: Right. Beyond the morals yeah. and the, I think of the whole thing, it, it's a problem.
1: Yes. So, no, yep.
0: Yeah. Sure. So the Kansas, Nebraska, one of the things with the Kansas, Nebraska Act was that it would leave to this, to these organizing territories when they would become st- organized into states, Kansas and Nebraska, they would be allowed to vote through what they call popular sovereignty. They would be allowed to vote whether or not to be a slave state or a free state. Now, Nebraska, the weather is not conducive to um, ash crop agriculture uh, so slavery you know you grow a lot of corn or whatever, but that's not you you it's not conducive to year round the year round cost associated with slavery. Kansas, however, like Missouri next to it, has plenty of land that could be cultivated for cotton and and you know what other whatever other ash crops. So there was really no issue. Like I already knew Nebraska was going to come in as a free state. The question was what was Kansas going to do? And okay, so abolitionists and what were called border ruffians, those like pro-slavery forces, coming across from Missouri, moving into Kansas in order to affect the vote, and yet abolitionists coming in from from farther north to do the same thing to affect the vote to try and make Kansas free or slave. Okay, so that's the 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 root of the conflict are literally people moving in, and of course. Don't get this wrong. People are moving in because there's nobody there, right? Like Kansas is, oh, op- you know, open. Ter- no, there are no white people there. Plenty of indigenous people,
1: but in there's the still east- nobody there. You know that, right? Like, yeah, but I mean, get outside of one or two cities. Well, <laughs> I mean, but this,
0: this is where most yeah. of this is taking place is right along the Missouri border. I mean, right. it's in LeCompton and Lawrence and Topeka. You know, it's all it's all that areas where people are pouring in. Okay, so that all said, that it becomes called Bleeding Kansas because of the violence that erupts between these. Obviously, ideologically opposed forces. Okay. Of of bleeding Kansas violence really kicked off on uh, May 21st, 1856, when the sheriff, Sam Jones, and U.S. Marshal Israel Donaldson organized a posse of somewhere between 600 and 800 men. They carried flags and banners, and they went to the free state town of Lawrence, Kansas, and they sacked the town. Uh, they destroyed the newspaper. They tore down the hotel. They leveled the home of the future first governor of Kansas, uh, Charles Robinson. Um, they roughed some people up and they damaged a bunch of property in order to try and intimidate free staters out of the state. Right. Um, so you get the U.S. Marshal and the sheriff uh, leading a posse to, uh, you know, trying to support slavery here. Um, now, Marshal Donaldson, again, a federal marshal acting on behalf of the pro-slavery president, Franklin Pierce, intended to arrest free state leaders in order to prevent them from voting. Uh, So so you got the U.S. Marshals trying to stop people from voting. The sheriff sent armed guards to block all the exits of the town. And these uh, local and federal law enforcement officers led a group that were flying flags that read, quote, Southern rights, end quote, and also, quote, supremacy of the white race, end quote. Those that work forces the same that crosses. And they ordered their men to destroy the homes and businesses, and they ordered their men to prevent voting. And again, like I said, rough people up in the streets. So uh, Kansas law enforcement and federal law enforcement teaming up uh, behind the banner of white supremacy, literally putting it on their flag, supremacy of the white race, which is great. It's it's one of those nice things from history where you're like, no no no, this isn't about like states' rights or whatever. Like they're flying flags that say white supremacy. Like this is pretty clear what they're talking about. Anyway, the day after this, uh, Massachusetts Senator Charles Sumner took the floor of the Senate and condemned the pro-slavery violence in a fiery speech from the like I said from the Senate floor. Congressman Preston Brooks of South Carolina, all the way. You've been you've seen seen or been to the U.S. Capitol, right? Like they are. The House is all the way on one side, Senate's all the way on the other. So this one congressman hears of this speech, marches all the way across the Capitol into the uh, Senate chamber. And when he he marches into the Senate chamber and proceeds to beat Charles Sumner over the head with his metal tipped cane. Yes.
1: Did, did he like send a messenger to go hey just keep him there for a bit i've got to traverse this entire length to get over there to be able to make my hold on just keep waiting i'll get there no no i'll get there just, i'm on my way i'll be there in a minute sure no the
0: you know first off these guys would give a speech for you know an hour hour and a half you know this was the the, the
1: you know oh, so um, mr smith goes to washington Great. yes 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 yes
0: <laughs> uh but yeah so anyway so preston brooks goes in and starts and beats charles sumner with his metal tipped like heavy cane Sumner eventually, now, you you know, there's like,
1: tipped. no, because then, then it wouldn't matter because right? then it wouldn't matter.
0: <laughs> um, it would just
1: mash, it would just <laughs> mash. Oh. So, you
0: know, those um, desks that you had, like when you were in grade school, where it's like the legs and the desk are all like one unit. Mm-hmm. So it's like you can't like stand straight up. You have to sort of scooch out. Okay. That's what the Senate desks were. So Sumner actually was like, was kind of uh when when Brooks came in, he was kind of trapped and so he's getting beaten up and he can't get he can't escape because he can't get out of his little you know children's school desk.
1: So you might uh, want to cut please. this. You might want to cut this. But all I'm having visions of is when I was like 13 and 14 and really not wanting to get out of those desks with a boner. <laughs> That's the yeah. only thing going through my mind right now so anyway sure huh.
0: Um, yeah. I don't think that was not <laughs> Charles Sumner's biggest worry
1: that day. That's that sure. wasn't his problem. Okay. <laughs> that was not exactly. not his biggest problem. I'm not saying it
0: wasn't a problem, but it definitely wasn't. wasn't the biggest problem.
1: Oh, it uh, wasn't so, his biggest problem. Okay. Correct. So, anyway, correct. On. So, moving on. Moving on. So, okay.
0: uh, yeah. So, so Sumner is trying to get out. Brooks just keeps beating him over the head. And eventually Sumner gets out and tries to escape. And Brooks actually breaks his cane over his head. He beats him so many, breaks his cane. And after the cane breaks, he just keeps beating him with the pieces Um, (laughs) until Sumner is completely unconscious. And Brooks again, continues to beat him while he's unconscious on the ground. Now other senators did try to intervene, but another Congressman came with Preston Brooks, um, (laughs) a guy named Lawrence Keat, and he pulled out a pistol
1: Everybody, be cool. You, be
0: cool. And it was like waving it around the Senate chamber, and everyone's like, "Let them be. Let them fight." So, uh, so you know, let this man get beaten or, within
1: an inch of his or, life, or I'll shoot one of you, yeah. <laughs> and then take a full minute and a half to reload. Right, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it is the Senate, though. It's not. Uh, this is not like a body of, of courageous men. Let's be. Let's be honest. They're like, well. He probably had it coming, I guess. I mean, and not to mention, like, half of them are cheering him on. You know what I mean? Like, half of them mm-hmm. are cheering it on. Um. So, anyway, Southern lawmakers who were there in the chamber gathered up the pieces of broken cane and then, like, went immediately out and had these pieces made into rings that they wore on chains around their neck, like, like, like flag pins, you know, so everybody could see their, like, broke, like, as solidarity with Preston Brooks. Like, to show their support of his actions. When everybody's like, whenever anybody is like, oh, politics has gotten so uh, so uh, uncivilized, I'm like, dude, the man got beaten almost to death in the chambers, like, because he basically complained about Southern, about violence, like pro-slavery violence, after a town had been sacked. I mean, like, it wasn't like after, you know what I mean? Anyway, so the, the I think the funniest part of this story, if there's a funny part, is that uh, within days, like hundreds of new canes start arriving at uh, at, at the Preston Brooks's congressional office as nice. gifts from Southerners, um, including like some of them were engraved with things like hit him again. You know, like we're with you and all that. Um, yeah, good stuff. And throughout the Southern press, of course, everyone praises uh, Preston Brooks. Georgia almost immediately emerged two areas into uh, two like unincorporated areas. And called it Brooks County in in uh, after Preston Brooks, which still exists. My fine state it. of Florida combined the towns of Menendez and Pierceville into a new town called Brooksville. And Virginia created Brooksville to be the county seat of Calhoun County, which is now part of West Virginia uh, because of you know the West Virginia Virginia split. It is with sincere sorrow and regret that I report that Preston Brooks died about a year later at the age of thirty seven by a sudden attack of croup. Uh, so he choked to death. So that's good. He suffocated, uh, gasping Uh-oh. for breath. And I say, rest in piss, Preston Brooks. Um, his wounds were so severe. The, Charles Sumner's wounds were so severe that he couldn't return to the Senate until 1859. So three years he could not return because he was still so uh, so hurt uh, injured from the wounds. In 1856, um, the Massachusetts uh, state legislature reappointed him to be the senator. So that his empty seat would just sit there as a kind of symbolic, you know, gesture for the the uh, the violence inherent in the conservative slaveocracy.
1: It's a way to break that deadlock.
0: I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. It's like it's like I get the the empty seat is a powerful symbol, but also you're trying to wield power and like having one fewer vote is no way to wield power. It's it's a bizarre. It's <laughs> it's like um,
1: It's next level intimidation right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. It's uh, but it's just it's like a it's like virtue, it's like 1856 Virtue Sigma. Right. You know, like look at look at poor Charles Sumner's empty seat, you know, whatever. It's it's bizarre. Anyway, uh, when word of of what happened to Sumner reached Kansas, the true American hero, John Brown, was outraged. He and his fellow out abolitionists dragged the Doyles, who were members of the Law and Order Party, which was a pro-slavery party in Kansas. And they dragged them out of their homes and hacked them to death with broadswords. They visited two other houses, killing Alan Wilkinson and William Sherman, who uh, they killed William Sherman, but they were looking for his brother, Dutch Henry, um, who was a militant pro-slavery fighter. But William Sherman was himself uh, a a, um, a pro-slavery fighter, a street fighter. Brown did spare a 16-year-old boy named John Doyle when his mother pleaded that he was neither in the Law and Order Party nor involved in the street fights brown uh, after this freed dozens of slaves and then helped them escape to the north on the underground railroad uh this was called especially in the southern press the potawatomi massacre uh and after this say what you will about the tactics or whatever you know, lots of violence there already the violence in kansas settled down frankly there's a weird thing where before the potawatomi massacre before john brown's actions the Southern press had constantly said, we have nothing to fear from these abolitionists. They're too soft and weak to use violence to defend their ideals. Like we will use violence as a tactic uh, to protect our ideals, but they don't like, it was basically like they don't believe in anything enough to, you know, to, to fight for their ideals of, of abolition. When John Brown (laughs) dragged a family out of their homes and like his men hacked these people apart with broadswords, um the the southern press was like shit like they i guess there are some they are willing to fight for what they believe they like they killed all these street fighters you know i mean these people who were like roughing people up and you know i mean like uh well and that was the end it was kind of the end of the violence i mean there was still some but like that was that was the end of the the peak
1: right um because again the phrase Everybody has a plan till you get punched in the face, right? That's exactly right. That's exactly
0: <laughs> what it really is—that sort of thing. And Brown's v- continues to be very controversial. I, I still find him to be one of the, if not the greatest American hero uh, that we've ever had. Um, a guy who, who really understood the, the situation vis-a-vis slavery and the, you know, just the moral degradation of it on society as a whole, let alone uh, just as an institution that would be incompatible with modernity, but like he, re- I mean, you know, there's a man who like hell bent on trying to force a war to end slavery. Cause he understood that the South would never give it up freely. You know what I mean? They would just never voluntarily voluntarily give it up. Um, I mean, you know, again, I don't want to like advocate dragging a family out of their home to hack them to bits with a broadsword. However, However, uh, if that, if it's like, if that family are Nazis who are out every night, beating up people who are against nazis i don't know <laughs> like maybe maybe that's the right choice before things get out of hand you know what i mean like maybe that's the better choice than letting the, the ideology spread even farther
1: no, that was interesting i would have, i wonder. you know you've caught me into a whole different area that i'm like i don't want to take it into sure side a, a tailspin because there's a lot of different a lot of different things you touched on that you i'm drawing parallels to with today like sure. the bleeding over of missouri into with you know with sending people over to affect the vote like i'm thinking crimea pe- peninsula we're seeing very sure. similar similar sure. things there so a lot of the same tactics are still explored in some of the same you know in the same way they're just you know what a colored differently maybe is the yeah, or or dressed up differently somehow you know? we've
0: never changed we're no. always the same people
1: um, over history. yeah. We meaning
0: it. humanity. It's, it's always the same. <laughs> right. We never learn the right lessons. Uh, the people mm-hmm. in charge never do anyway. Um, I do want to point out one other thing. I say after the Potawatomi massacre, the violence settled down. But there was one other little event where the president of the United States, right? A country, the country we live in, uh, sent 500 U.S. troops to train their cannons on abolitionists meeting at Constitution Hall. That's rich in Topeka, Kansas, on the 4th of July, 1856. He had the cavalry uh, load the cannons with long fuses, well, they, they had the, ca- the cavalry load the cannons with long fuses and light them and then order the abolitionists to disperse or be fired upon while they were all trapped in Constitution Hall. So they, of course, you know, did what any reasonable person does. They got the hell out of there and uh, and fled. Um, but yeah, just, just, just to point out that the president of a country our country had the had the cavalry like go down and train uh, yeah and train uh cannons on people who were like politically aligned differently than the president just to put a fine point on it people who disagreed with the president about the issue of slavery
1: so basically (laughs) again we haven't learned anything (laughs) we've learned nothing we've learned nothing
0: uh (laughs) During the bloody Kansas violence uh really of 1856 56 people were killed which again for for a territory that like had nobody in it, it was is a lot it's a lot of a lot of people in like street fighting to die but Kansas entered the union as a free state in January 1858 the pacification of Kansas helped make Colorado help make the Colorado gold rush possible and that's why i bring it up without the, this result in Kansas or some result in Kansas the i mean if that that violence had continued, the gold rush would have been much more challenging. Um, Kansas comes into the union as a free state in January of 1858, and the the issue is settled. The violence is resolved, the people have voted, it's it's a done deal. So and 1858 is the year they find gold in Colorado, right? So, like it's it's fortuitous timing. Anyway, um, so in spring of 1858, two expeditions set out across Kansas for the Rockies in hope of finding gold. One of them was formed by a Georgian named William Green Russell. And I will call him green a lot during this. So if I say green and you get confused and think I'm referring to a color or whatever, just, just double check. Cause I, you know, I like that his nickname is green. So I call him green. Uh, so anyway, he and a Cherokee named John Beck uh, formed one of these uh, expeditions. These, experienced gold seekers. They were veteran 49ers from California. Green and eight others left for Kansas, and they picked up a dozen men in Missouri, and then they rendezvoused with uh, Beck's Cherokee team, it's mostly made up of Cherokees, uh, near the Arkansas River on June 3rd of 1858. The party ended up picking up like 23 more Missourians on uh, or Missourians on June 23rd, which brought their number to like 100, and on June 25th, they arrived at Ralston Creek. I have no idea if you know where that is. I don't. Um,
1: I've heard that. I've heard of it. I don't know that I could, you know, tell you on a map where it is. Some of these, some of these words, like there's a lot of words that you're using. I mean that that are more common, like Arapaho, of course, like that's very common here in Colorado. Like there's a lot of these that are some common, and like Ralston is a common. common common enough for me for me to know what it is right but asking me where it is no i could no i was just curious i think
0: it's on the i mean it's all it's it's along the south platte it's obviously a creek off the south platte um but i'm not sure exactly where but it was their destination um so okay so that's the one party from georgia Hmm. meanwhile uh john easter led a party from lawrence kansas now remember lawrence was the town sacked
1: rock Chuck, rock rock, Chuck, jayhawk baby
0: <laughs> it was the town sacked because it was a free state. It was a free state city, right? A free state town. um So, it, just by saying this is a party from Lawrence, tells you that, like, by and large, we're talking about like abolitionists or at least free state people who are sure. in this party. Again, not that that necessarily matters, but just some of the characters are going to, you know, have connections that make sense that way. Anyway, Easter had tried to get an indigenous guide but failed. Um, sort of at the last minute and none of his party had any experience as uh, Argonauts in any way but they set out from Lawrence searching for the only landmark that they had ever heard of Pike's Peak now (laughs) the Lawrence team was put together really spur of the moment Uh, Julia and James Holmes joined like on a whim when they heard about it they're like yeah sure
1: the John's parents I'm just checking. One so day she eats this John Holmes motherfucker and
0: it's like, whoa, baby. Oh, 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 oh. God, that didn't even <laughs> click. Yeah. No. No. Uh, maybe grandparents. Maybe grand <laughs> okay. great grandparents.
1: Great, great great grandparents. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> uh
0: Julia and James, uh, anyway, they, they joined on a whim, uh, out of quote, a desire to cross the plains and behold the great mountain chain of North America, end quote. So, like, you know, so you've got people in this expedition who are not exactly like gold bugs, right? Like they're like just in it for the adventure. Uh, the Holmeses were newlyweds who had met through a friend of Julia's father, a guy named John Brown. So Julia's dad friends with John Brown. Julia's family were part of the Underground Railroad. They were uh, a, a uh, um, they served as, as both conductors and as a station for the Underground Railroad. Um, Sorry, yeah, the party grew as it went, but most of the time they were essentially just like bored all day long. Julia wrote, "Quote every solitary wolf." or mound of earth in the distance was transformed by some of our imaginative, most imaginative hunters into a Buffalo end quote. So in other words,
1: was that, was that wolf or wolf? Wolf. Wolf. Okay. I just want to make sure that I'm, you know, we're tracking on the story.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wolf. I, I, that was, I do say wolf. I think that just came out. Um, But the point, the point of this is like, what she's saying is as they're riding across the, like the flatness of, of the plains. She's like everybody's bored to tears. So every time they see just like a bump, you know, on the landscape, or they see a wolf or whatever, like she's like the most imaginative hunters, are like, oh, a buffalo, you know, and they're all ready. And it's like, oh, nope, just a, just a lump of dirt, you know, whatever, as they get to it. So they're just bored to tears. They're just like they're, the whole trip is just boring as hell. There were some exhilarating sights, as you imagine, as you might imagine, uh, some of them real, some of them imaginary. Uh, but they faced no serious challenges somehow. In fact, they still had whiskey on July 4th when they arrived at the foot of the Rockies and they drank the last of it, like, because it was 4th of July. So they did like a little 4th of July celebration. So, like, they made it all the way across. No problems. Still had whiskey left over, which means, like, that might not seem like much, but it means no injuries that required whiskey, right? No, which means, like, you know, sickness. Like, no sickness. Yeah. Yeah, because it was medicine. They, it was, you know.
1: they made it, basically. Yeah. When do we meet John Reed? I just, you know, Little Ranger. Sorry. Go on. Move on. Not yet. <laughs> um,
0: anyway, but 10 they arrived in the Rockies. About 150 white folks were panning the waterways at the Front Range uh, with pretty much discouraging results. But, but still, 150 people, still not very many. Like, you know, mm-hmm. hardly anybody there. The Lawrence party went to South Park. Uh, at least for a while, with no lucks. James and Julia Holmes, uh, Julia Holmes, a personal friend of Susan B. Anthony, um, they used to write to each other, uh, hiked to the top of Pike's Peak. Julia wrote, quote, I would not have missed this glorious sight for anything at all, end quote. But mostly, uh, Julia just thought the whole thing was deeply boring. She wrote about the, quote, disgusting inactivity of camp life, end quote. The men with no gold to gamble all played cards, but they wagered their leisure time, because it's all they had.
1: 500 must be a piece of a hand.
0: The losers would have to take guard duty and such. Between September and November, most of the Kansans like, grew bored and went home. Or like Julia and James, they went to Taos, New Mexico. Is that right? Taos? Yep. Taos? Taos? Yep. So uh, they went to Taos, and then a few years later, uh, President uh, Lincoln appointed James Holmes to be the governor of the New Mexico Territory. Julia ended up writing for the New York Herald uh, before she actually moved back to, they divorced, and she moved back to Washington and became like the first woman at the Bureau of Education, all this stuff. Um, She had sort of, you know, a really good, prominent career. She's a prominent lady. Uh, As winter approached, though, the Lawrence party laid out a town near the banks of the Platte River, and they called it Montana City. Montana being the feminine form of the word mountain in Spanish. That's where Montana comes from. This means, Lady Mountain.
1: Learn something new every day. Look at that. I will never let anybody who wants to move there not know that going forward.
0: There you go, Lady <laughs> Mountain. So they found, they they laid out Montana City. They built three rows of of uh, of like barracks or homes or whatever you want to call it. And this was the very first settlement in what eventually became Denver. Green Russell and John Beck had promised uh, the guys that joined them, their Argonauts, that panning would yield $20 a day in gold, which were excellent wages. Southern farm laborers made about $11 a month, just to give you some sense of what kind of money that would be. Uh, But the group found little, and by July 6th, most of that group had had left to go home. Uh, Only Green, his two brothers, and 10 other people remained, Uh, so 13 of them. They referred so to I the ones that left as the apostates anyway.
1: Yeah. So I know part of the reason I'm here is because I'm drawing your connection to Colorado a little. Hmm. So there's actually a speakeasy here in Denver called the Green Russell. And so it's just kind of interesting to, I mean, as soon as you said it, I went, ah, somebody actually knows who someone from history is. Like, yep. I'm like, what a weird name. Why would someone choose that name? Well, okay. Well, because clearly someone else chose that name much earlier. Yep. <laughs> and They yep. just kind of took it. So that's, that's a, cool
0: is uh there's a uh, russell gulch too is uh named after him um which is again i mean if you're if you're in and around i guess the mountains enough you would find russell gulch somewhere
1: and that one but that one is like oh, okay got it fine sure but no
0: sure 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 but green, name ta- green
1: yeah. russell is kind of just bizarre like it's a bizarre sure. for two, a tavern two, a pub? Yeah. like green who, who names their kid green number one like I'm drawing the parallel now to the person sure. that you're talking sure, sure. about, right? Is like sure. who names their kid that? And then well, they
0: named him William. <laughs> but this story is going to be a story of a thousand Williams. So going by his nickname works out. Like there, everybody is named William. Apparently, there are three names you can yeah. choose from back then: uh, Zebulon, William, and James. I guess
1: <laughs> that's like the old days. And Ed. And Ned and Ted yeah. and all of the different oh, yeah, yeah. variations of Edward, right? <laughs> sure,
0: sure, sure, sure. Anyway, so yeah, so Green Russell's—that's that's cool. Uh, so Green, it was just you know Green, his two brothers and ten others, and um, on July sixth, basically the day that like the last of their group, other than those thirteen, the last of them left it was like twenty-five of them decided to head back to Missouri. Um, they,
1: the <laughs> I love that you say it like a local too. You don't say Missouri. You you say Missouri, and I know yeah. it was spelled like that back previously, but we just call it Missouri, and we're good. For- misery yeah,
0: <laughs> Missouri. Um, I you know I try to be respectful of the local traditions. You know, mm-hmm. um, I uh, yeah, I mean, what what can I say? So anyway, they they moved to uh, to Dry Creek, and within one hour of of arriving there, they found color. The next day, they were panning about ten dollars per day per man. This uh, this find met three important specifications for a gold find. There was a reasonable amount of gold, right? Like ten dollars per day per man
1: is, you know, like what that is, meant. Yeah. What is that in today's standards? Like that's got to be significant, I would think.
0: It's um, it's I would say maybe maybe a hundred. See what it is in terms of what it is in terms of buying power is really I don't I don't know I didn't calculate it. But just compare it to what was being made by somebody else at that time. So a southern farm laborer, right? So not obviously we're not talking about slave, but about somebody who's like a paid farmhand, made about eleven dollars a month. And they were making, they were panning ten dollars a day.
1: It is, I just looked it up. It's the equivalent of about $325. Yeah. So, so I mean
0: again, you're not setting the world on fire with this.
1: No, but, but that's, that's but
0: it's a good but a, you're, it's a good.
1: day? Like yes. Yeah. That's, that's pretty for, good for a day.
0: <laughs> yes. What's what I mean? You're you're not, you know, you're, so what would that be? You know, you're talking, um, so 300 bucks a day, say five days a week, right? $1,500 a week. So you're talking six grand a month. So 72,000 a year, right? But that's assuming consistency every day for a year, right? Which of course, given what we're talking about, you know, is not how that, that's not how panning for gold works. You, you know what I mean? Like you, you get what you get and then it starts to run dry because you've sort of found it all.
1: Yeah, I um, thought it would have been a lot more than that too. And it's you're right though, it's still. I mean, I'm not belittling it by any means. No, no. But that's like That's a hard wage to live on in today by today's standards in some cities.
0: Sure. Yeah, but it wouldn't be hard it wouldn't be hard to live. It, it wouldn't be hard to live when you're just kind of out on the on the margins where there's really sure, not yeah. yeah.
1: different different lifestyle different these all all of the different things. Yeah. I'm just yeah. thinking I'm putting it in today's terms cuz I'm just like it draws a connection for me. I'm sure, like, sure,
0: sure. Yeah, I should've looked good, that up. Usually I do those conversions.
1: And that's a and that's a good wage for today, right? Like if somebody, yeah. you tell somebody you're making between seventy and eighty grand a year, you're gonna be pretty happy for, with that. Sure, right? sure.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Not, not in Denver, but in other cities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. Probably not probably not in Baltimore either. Like, you know.
0: Yeah, maybe. Depend, I'm not depending sure. Depending
1: on where in Baltimore you live, probably. Yeah, not. I was just saying. And that's say, true here. It's true here too. Like you'd it really be, matters.
0: It would be fine here in mm. Central Florida. You're, you'd be, sure. you're in, you know, decent shape there. Um, yep. I'm not just decent. You'd be in pretty good shape here, um, but probably not in Miami. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. It really it depends on where you are. But <laughs> uh, but anyway, Miami. this is just this is just the 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 initial fine. So Mm -hmm. this met these three important specifications, right? So there's a reasonable amount of gold. That is, they're able to keep pulling it out day after day Mm -hmm. for, like, at least a little time. And it was precisely located, right? And it was verified by a neutral witness, or at least it would be in a couple days after they found it. Now, it wasn't, again, it wasn't a great find. It's what they call placer gold. Uh, Placer gold is like dust that floats down at the end. Mm -hmm. sort of tells you there is more farther, you know, up the river or whatever. Um, This is very much dust. You know, gold dust. Um, but the source remained hidden. Uh, but they found enough to to make it so you know, so that it was uh it would launch the Pikes Peak gold rush. Like, you know, it it met those three qualifications that let people know there was enough, there was gold there.
1: Yeah. They were doing ten bucks a day on dust. Yeah. Like yeah. that's that's a lot of dust. Well, I
0: mean, dust is a, <laughs> yeah, you know, we're talking like small flake, right? You know, small flake.
1: No, yeah. I, and no, and I get that, but I'm thinking like if you think about it, like that's a lot of Like, yes, I can understand the appeal of why it would bring so many people because that much a day off of dust alone. Like,
0: yeah. And like, I think I cut it out. Maybe it's later in the script. So I apologize if this is redundant, but like (laughs) this one guy, you know, sort of a college student or whatever hears about the, the gold in Colorado. And he's like, well, hell, you know, if I can make however much money, just like just squatting down in the river for a couple hours a day. That's better than any prospects I have now. They call it the panic of eighteen fifty-seven. It lasts like four years. You know what I mean? Like it's things are tough. And so the possibility of like making ten bucks a day Mm -hmm. to just bend over, like sounds pretty good. You know what I mean?
1: Whoa. Whoa. I know. I know. You're leaving all this in, right? (laughs) I I I
0: regretted it as soon as I said it.
1: Tell, tell me more about how you got your start. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so uh, anyway, this was, even though it wasn't a great find, it was enough to launch the uh, the Pike's Peak Gold Rush once word got out. Now, again, Placer Gold is kind of like the dirt on your shoes or like the crumbs that you wipe off a table. Um, you know, you, you want to get to the real goal, which is called the mother load. And anything can happen when you're after the mother load. Russell's men, like, kept looking and kept finding Placer, uh, as they went sort of farther up into the mountains. Because obviously now they know it's up there. They just have to go find it. And in fact, at one point, they found a spot that yielded $18 per person per day. But Green kind of knew these things would be short-lived, you know, because eventually you you get what's there. And it's not like it just keeps flaking off at the same pace that you're taking it out. It's been building up for however you know many centuries. Once you got it, you got it. Um, so he knew he had to find the source. John Cantrell a Missouri trader arrived on, see, I said Missouri, a Missouri trader. a Missouri trader arrived on July 31st. Uh, Russell placed him at a lucrative spot and Cantrell quickly filled a pouch with dust. He was able to like really rapidly pan out a whole, a pouch full. Then he gathered several bushels of unpanned dirt. And then he went to Westport, Missouri, back to Westport, Missouri, where he's from. And once he got there, he stood in like the middle of a prominent street, and he just, like, washed some some of the dirt in plain view of everyone. And so anyone who was watching, like, you know, know, of course, he's, he's talking it up. I just came back from Pikes Peak. I got myself some place to, you know, some, some dirt from there. Check it out. There's, there's gold to be found all over the place. You know, whatever.
1: There's gold in them, Narhill.
0: And so, you know, he's trying to, like, uh, carnival bark this. And anybody watching can see the, the glitter as he's shaking these pans of, gold, of dirt out. And so, of course... Immediately, word spreads like wildfire. You know, I mean, like you know, anybody seeing this on the street would just be like, "Well, by God, he just brought back you know two bushels of random dirt, and there's just gold all over it."
1: You're basically you're describing Bitcoin, essentially.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, Russell (laughs) specifically put him at a spot so that he would find gold because Russell wants tons of people to come out there, which kind of seems counterintuitive because on the one hand, you're like, well. But wouldn't he want to keep all the gold for himself? But on the other, he's like, no, he wants to claim the land and then bring a bunch of people out to work it to find the gold and take a percentage of it while not doing any of that labor. Like, that's what he wants to do. And the more people he can get out there, especially while he's one of the only people there, you know, the more likely he will be to find the mother load.
1: This is where I get to be Mike and go, that's good business. yes (laughs)
0: yes <laughs> exactly you know the way you make money uh in a gold rush is you mine the miners you don't mine um you know you go out and sell shovels anyway uh so once he does this right like anybody's seeing this you know uh saw the glitter and then spread the word word spread like wildfire by august 26 newspaper headlines read and i'm just gonna read a bunch of headlines so this is all a quote from different papers quote the new el dorado that's a terrible accent uh <laughs> By golly, it's the new El Dorado, in Kansas Territory, the Pikes Mines, first arrival of gold dust to Kansas City. By September, yellow fever reached Cleveland, Ohio. By October 1st, word reached the Pacific Coast via Panama. There's no canal yet, so like this is like overland and, and around. Reports became wildly exaggerated. The one was like a child found $1, a $1,000 in a few weeks. Another was a man made six hundred dollars in several days, and so on. One last and then, a formerly prominent Missouri man left Colorado or left for Colorado uh, after hearing rumors that a prospector had gathered forty thousand dollars in a couple weeks. Reflecting the misery and panic, uh, uh, misery of the panic and the hope of the gold rush, he wrote to his brother saying, "Quote: I won't lose much by leaving, uh, as I am making nothing here." End quote.
1: You, you literally, this is the birthplace of the pyramid scheme.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's,
1: it's like, like, like I, but like you can cut out the names if you need to, but it's the Herbalize. And it's the, mm-hmm. you know, the, I, that's the big one that comes to my mind because, yeah, they have a good product, but it's the business model that's the problem, right? The product's not the issue. And there's a hundred right. million of them out there that are, like, sure. What is it? Amway was another one, I think. Like, De- the DeVos
0: all, family. Yeah.
1: But it but it's the whole thing it's the oh look we're I'm telling the story around it and yeah. now you're buying from me because of the story that's not even mine anymore
0: it's Scientology it's every it's that's all fair, of yeah. them it's all of
1: them yeah, yeah. Um, you know, know right.
0: it's, yeah, it's it's every pyramid scheme it's, so
1: what's going to be our pyramid scheme that's the question
0: oh uh, we're we're all, I mean <laughs> nfts
1: uh, oh ours yeah yeah yeah
0: and if, uh, well again
1: <laughs> nfts I've never, I, I can't get into NFTs. Like I, I literally asked so somebody of mine, I go, so it's a JPEG. Yeah, but but you bought it. I'm like, yeah, but I can also copy it. Right. Watch, click. <laughs> right. Now what? Now what are you going to do? Like but, it but, literally but is it. the most, no, but you don't. That's the thing. I man. know.
0: It's insane.
1: I, I get paintings. I get paintings because as a piece of canvas that there's art and we know there's forgeries right. and we know such all that. A, stuff, that's such a scam though too. But it's like, oh my it, and that's fine. Like I I but the point is it's tangible. But it's tangible. Like yeah. there's nothing tangible out about an NFT. Nope. And I don't I, I it's and it makes me sound old, right? Because I don't get it. No, nope, like, it's I get Bitcoin. I get that. The 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 deregulation of the finance industry, I get the driver, if you will, behind sure. it. Sure. So it makes sense. But NFTs are the part where I'm like, no, that's no, it's the dust, if we will, right? Yeah. It's not. Yeah, that's ultimately what it both comes back to. So
0: it's the it's the pack your bags, come with me. You can make forty thousand dollars in three weeks.
1: You know, that's just it. It's, yep. We all want to be rich as quick as humanly possible, and this is the way to do it. Did you ever watch The Simpsons? You know, I did some on and off. Not, I, I wasn't an avid watcher. I'm more of a Family Guy type of humor person, so <laughs>
0: you should uh, go back and uh, and watch the uh, the monorail episode because it's the monorail episode. That's that's what you're talking about here. It's the it's the uh, the monorail episode is uh, is just classic for it's it is. Every time I think of, of NFTs, I think of Bit- I think of, of crypto, all that. I'm just immediately my mind goes to. Uh, the monorail episode where guy comes to do, like the, basically Springfield has like a, a bit of a windfall. They have some extra money and they're trying to decide what to spend it on. And like, you know, the salesman shows shows up him he's like, why? What's that you say? You want to ha- you want the comfort of, of transportation on a brand new monorail? And he's like, does a little song and dance. It takes all their money.
1: Well, sir, there's nothing on earth like a genuine, bona fide, electrified six-car monorail. What'd I say? Monorail. What's it called? Monorail. That's right, monorail. monorail. Monorail.
0: Monorail. Monorail. I hear those things are awfully loud. It
1: glides as softly as a cloud. Is there a chance the track could bend? Not on your life, my Hindu friend. What about us, Brendan Slobs? You'll be given- Lisa
0: basically goes to the other town that, like, he built a monorail, and of course, you know, the monorail has crashed, and like, the town is ruined, and you know, but of course, you know, he's just, uh, he's PT Barnum.
1: Sure, that's my that's my judge, right? The guy who does Simpsons. No, um, or- um, Greenig. Matt Groening. Oh, oh, that's right. Because Judge is the one who does King of the Hill. King of the, the Hill, thing.
0: which is yeah. just the perfect, is a perfect show.
1: There's no flaws. We could spend a lot, a lot of time on on both him and that show because, like, the, his side products, that projects that he's done, both via film and TV, have both been have all been very good.
0: Yeah, I mean, King of the Hill is is a is a flawless, as far as I can tell, is just a flawless television show. Damn it, Bobby, yeah. <coughs> <laughs> It's so good. I mean, it's, it's so good because it touches on so many, uh, it just, oh, yeah. it sort of transcends time and space in a way that, that shows really don't. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, yeah, masculinity insecurity. Uh, You know, how how do you deal with uh, how do you deal with changing cultures? How do you how do you deal with, uh, you know, changing changing demographics? How do you change with, you know, like uh, the the, the promises of your youth have turned into, you know, like you were lied to, you know, as a child, like Mm -hmm. about what the promise of America was. How do you deal with you know what I mean? Like, how do you grapple with all that stuff? And it's not just how Hank does it. It's how every it's how everyone from Cotton to Bobby deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, a kind of, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's like, how do you deal with the collapse of the empire?
1: It and that show, it's so good. You love this show because yeah. they're trying to bring it back, mm. <laughs> which I'm like, yes. No, it's,
0: it's so good. I mean, it is, it is a, it's just a, it's such a.
1: Oh, and the uh, most important aspect layered. is it is Texas. Yeah. And all of those things, it is still just Texas. <laughs>
0: for as great as king of the hill is for every viewer that if you are from texas or you are of texas as it were Uh that there are layers in there that no one else understands that you Mm -hmm. just you know that the show is is even more deeply layered and meaningful
1: um have you you seen the film vengeance and i don't remember Mm -hmm. the guy's name but it's uh you can see it on prime um but It's about a New Yorker who's doing a podcast. Funny enough, okay, and he decides to go to Texas because of some random girl that he dated. That the family thought they were like a very deep relationship, okay. And he he's this New Yorker who goes to like basically West Texas, sure, which is a whole different level of Texas,
0: sure. Economically depressed, former oil country, all that stuff, yeah.
1: And that's all I'm going to say. But it's absolutely worth the watch. It nails Texas culture really really like all you know of course it's inflated like it's not that sure. bad but they make you know how that's the way it Yeah, feels. you got to do yeah you got to sensationalize it a little right sure it makes it a lot of fun absolutely worth the film it but yes it touches on it's the same thing as okay. king of the hill and what you just touched on so there you go
0: i'll check it out i'll check it out <laughs> all right so uh winter prospecting is difficult if not pretty much impossible but the earliest arri- arrivals in it's not even Colorado yet, but out in West West Kansas, could stake the best claims for the spring fall, right? Like so that's the kind of impetus to try and get out before it freezes, if possible. But people just everywhere started organizing and joining expeditions. Like a 22-year-old JC Baird in Rockport, Kansas, who literally just dropped everything when a man walked through town yelling, All aboard for Pox Peak, Cherry Creek, and the Rocky Mountains. Uh and he was like, Why, mister, that sounds good to me. And off he went, you know. Um, Meanwhile, members of Green's party had explored 100 miles up the plat into the mountains and south into New Mexico. Uh, They had found plenty of placer, But as one man, one of his men wrote, quote, the main question yet remains unsolved. These the source whence this gold has drifted, end quote. By the end of September, the mining season was ending as water dried up and would soon freeze. Um, Some members of the Lawrence party split off and laid out of town on Cherry Creek called St. Charles. A few Georgians were interested in town promotion as well, including uh, Green's brother, Dr. Levi Russell. In mid to late October, the first prospectors arrived, and on November 1st, a group of new arrivals and the earliest expeditions uh, voted to approve a town across the stream from St. Charles named Auraria. One observer wrote, quote, it is going to be the place, end quote. These would-be boosters were all amateurs. But a master was coming. William Larimer made a name for himself boosting towns in the Nebraska Territory. First, uh, he went to Leavenworth, Kansas, and met with founder uh, the founder of Russell, Majors, and Waddell, the West's most prominent freight and stagecoach firm. Larimer and William Russell, no relation, agreed that if Larimer established a town by the Rockies, that that town would become the terminus for a RM&W stage route. So you know this is critical, lifeblood to the to the town, but also would make it would would make it like the winner town. You know what I mean? It would be the town that wins because it would have a stage a stage uh, station. You know, already sort of guaranteed.
1: You know, Auraria is downtown where downtown Denver used to be. Co- correct. And and in the light rail system, they have an Araria station, and it's there's literally like a like a, a little community college down there and everything like it's, it's
0: a, po- a little posh neighborhood isn't it yeah yeah
1: no auraria is not posh i would not okay. use posh. but okay. it, it's cool it's just cool to hear some of the connections
0: okay um yeah we're we're going to get to that how because Auraria
1: hold yeah, yeah. cherry creek is posh which is where okay. area kind of stems off of cherry creek and okay. cherry creek is absolutely that that you know, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. I,
0: I sort of looked up some of these areas in the present <laughs> mm-hmm. to get a sense, just to get a sense of of the geography. Mm-hmm. Um yep. so I might maybe I'm I'm confusing them. But yeah. Well yeah, Auraria is sort of across the stream. St. Charles is is on this side of, of uh of Cherry Creek. They're kind of both like in between Cherry Creek and the Platte. You know, they both are sort of mm-hmm. yeah. So <clears throat> okay, we'll get back to St. Charles because that you're gonna recognize even if you don't yet. Okay. Uh, So anyway, uh, Larimer uh, and five others then set out on October 1st, and they met a group from LeCompton, uh, Kansas, along the way. The Kansas governor, a guy named William James Denver, authorized organizing the gold strike area into Arapahoe County, Kansas, and he sent several county officers with the LeCompton group to begin the project. When they arrived, the St. Charles Boomers had returned home for supplies. Larimer claimed the site as his own. That's like, so these people had had laid out St. Charles and then they went back to Georgia to gather supplies and stay the winter and come back in the spring. So when Larimer arrives, he's like, Oh, look, look at this, look at this area that's been completely, you know, like nobody's done any improvements on. He literally laid four like logs out in a square and said, Well, I've improved it. It's mine now. (laughs) And Basically, since nobody else was there to sort of uh, to argue with him, you know, he, Let's um, try that. yeah, well, so he claimed it as his own. He had the area surveyed. Like I say, he laid out these four cottonwood logs in a square. But what he did in order to prevent himself from, you know, being like shot or really uh, ill will, he offered shares in the town to the St. Charles boomers when he when they sort of came back. There was uh, there were a couple that were still around, mostly like. Uh, traders and like mountain men kind of types, but generally speaking, they all left. Larimer sought a political leader and a name for the new town. He pursued, but failed to get his choice. But the town would still have that political leader's name, Denver City. So he tried to get James Denver to come out and be, you know, to be like the mayor of the Mm -hmm. town. By the end of 1859, Auraria and Denver City sort of merged into Denver. Um, They were like the two boom towns, and it was like, hey, look, let's just work together. And so this became the primary destination of the Pikes Peak Argonauts. Uh, The Panic of 1857 inspired uh, spontaneous immigration. Uh, A Kansas editor wrote, quote, The disposition to emigrate has reached every class of society, end quote. Armies of displaced, dispossessed, frustrated, and suffering were all ready to, quote, cast their lots with the people of the West, end quote. And remember, from last time, Colonel Edwin Sumner's little skirmish victory that the papers all celebrated as this, like, awesome victory that secured safe travel to the West. Well, like, that is still very much fresh in people's minds. It was like just a year before. So Green Russell's discovery kind of led a lot of people to believe El Dorado was just 600 miles west of the Missouri River. And it was safe to get there, you know, because of this, uh, this little skirmish victory that was way overblown. On January 29th, the New York Tri- Tribune reported, quote, There is scarcely a village west of Ohio in which some are not fitting for and impatiently awaiting the day, st- the day when a start to Pike's Peak may be prudently made. End quote. Farther west from the Appalachians, uh, the more frenzied the activity. Now, one Iowan wrote, quote, Nearly every man you meet is bound for the peak in a few weeks. End quote. Signs reading, Pike's Peak or bust, were carried by the desperate poor in every town. From Akron, Ohio, and Joliet, Illinois, to Hannibal, Missouri, and Keokuk, Iowa. More than just Argonauts. Oh, go
1: ahead. I should say that I'm just, I don't know. Maybe it's called my naivete or whatever, but thinking about the fact New York's writing about everything west of a place in Ohio, it's like the Appalachians, if we take for granted today how easy it is to cross these things. Sure. And, and back then, it's like, that's why it was only west of, because... I'm not uh, climbing that shit to get to the next thing that I gotta climb like, it was basically... it was faster
0: it was faster to sail from New York down to Panama or Colombia I'm <laughs> uh, not Colombia to uh, Nicaragua yeah. and go across the isthmus and then sail up to California and come well to sorry to get to California than it was to go across. I don't know if it was the same for Colorado, but to get to California, most people east of the Appalachians. went went by sea which is like insane because you would sail to panama and then you'd take a mule train across the isthmus and then get on another steamship and go up and around and that was way faster
1: you know i don't know how people would cross the rockies like today i'm and i'm just thinking about it like because like if i go today crossing the rockies of course you get in a car and you drive i-70 whatever straight across (sharp) i-80 whichever straight
0: across straight across like
1: this but it's like you know where i have a real appreciation for it is when i go skiing and i sit on the continental divide and i could see both directions I'm like there are people who actually walk this shit sure like, sure or, or or horses for that matter right like sure. having to, to bring it back around like it's just yeah a, it's insane it's the things we take for granted right the things that are commonplace yeah. today that weren't 150 200 years ago now
0: yeah Um uh, sorry Calling um, reservation is ready for Donner party.
1: Um, you know, not everybody crosses of. well. <laughs> I'm hungry, speaking of. No, I'm just. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've got some food stories coming up for you. Good food. Good food story. Is All that right. a thing in that era? Good food. What, good, let's be Good up.
0: food. Not, <laughs> is, not really, although in get, fairness. They called
1: it Lop. <laughs> just the in fairness
0: uh you know our very first episode uh or episodes i talked about the invention of like the the oven and so baked food mm-hmm. was by eight, the 1850 that was the 1820s and 30 30s 1830s so by the 1850s you could at least roast meat instead of just like boiling it in an like over yeah. an open hearth so you know once you have uh once you have like civilized housing and supplies and everything else you can at least start to roast some things. So, good food, I mean, you know, in the vaguest uh, the vaguest definition of those terms, but you are actually able to sort of, you know, bake pies uh from from your from your chicken's pot to your you know, berries blue, you're starting to have baked pies. You know, you're starting to be able, to, you know, you can do some things um, uh, you know, again, You you have access to some spices and some herbs and things like that. Some herbs and things like that, but you um. But generally, you know, until the 1830s, you know, everybody's just boiling stuff. By the late 1850s, ovens are becoming kind of a a thing. So you know, so yeah.
1: You know, and you said this not to sidetrack, but you said this to me at one point, and it made me noodle on things. And we were just having a conversation about food in general, and you were talking about how the culture of food has changed, and it's really. Because of travel, because you can, you know, places who didn't have spices now have spices, the sure. different types of vegetables, the different types of meats and all the different things. And you're mm-hmm. absolutely right. It's why fusion food is so fascinating today. Yeah. And you can proliferate and it's
0: pro- proliferated everywhere.
1: Yeah. And now it's like on a whole different level today than it even was 20 years ago. Right? Sorry, so. I passed
0: a food truck today that was called the Jamaican, whatever, Jamaican cuisine. So it's like. And, and I was laughing. I'm like, Jamaican and Mexican? Like, it's they don't share a border. Like, how does that? what do you have Jamaican? Like, that is, I mean, yes, there's a water border, I suppose. But
1: like, Whoa, whoa, whoa. We're not into that, right? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just saying, it was just like, you know. No waterboarding.
1: Like a, no waterboarding on this No podcast. waterboarding, but
0: uh, water border, yeah. But, I mean, it's like, you know, it was just, that just to case in point, the idea, like, that there yes. would be a, a Jamaican cuisine. And. I mean, when you think about it, it sounds—it's like, oh, that sound that actually sounds like it could be really good.
1: Could <laughs> no, no, be successful, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. All right.
0: So, um, so, like I said, everywhere, everywhere west of the the Appalachian Appalachians are uh, they're carrying Pikes Peak or bus signs, you know, um, and more than just Argonauts are setting out, right? Car and, and or or for that matter, not even just setting out to the west. There are a lot of people who are moving west to like border towns nowhere near Colorado but like the border towns where people will set out to cross the plains right Um, because they know there are opportunities to make money there so you know you have carpenters inn and saloon owners um, hostlers, wagon makers clothiers, livery agents all these things advertising wares from Missouri to Kansas all trying to cash in on the, the migration of people through their towns so many would be See, this is you can tell this is a, this is a, something I wrote just for Mike. Many would be small business entrepreneurs and laborers <laughs> hoped to establish themselves either in these border towns or out west. A Kansas City gunsmith sold gold washers. A shop in St. Louis offered Pikes Peak augers to test for deep deposits. Emigrants were enticed with fresh haircuts and shaves before their long journeys. People could buy Pikes Peak saddles pikes peak mules and general pikes peaks pikes peak wares for their trip even pikes peak life insurance was sold which again you you know it's this is so this is so much of like 1858 and absolutely exactly what today is it's like i like again sort of all every time something becomes kind of a fashionable uh gluten-free all of a sudden, everything slaps gluten-free on the label. Here, here's a bag of broccoli. Gluten-free is there on the top corner, and you're like, "What? The, what do you mean gluten-free bro- broccoli? What? What would glutened broccoli be? Like, I don't even understand."
1: You know, <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But this is, a, I mean, this is encapsulates this. would Be me playing Mike for a minute. Mm-hmm. It's it's everybody wanting to have freedom, and at the end of the day, it's that search for freedom of and that freedom of my own business that freedom of uh we'll call it what the ability to not want for anything right because sure. they have enough means to to allow them to live their life in a way that's not dictated by someone else and sure so you can hardly fall i mean that that is partly of course that's what we all want well what, what, what this society is oh. built on too and we both know i know you and i've had a lot of conversations about this sure it's, it's an illusion of course that is it's Part of the brilliance of the illusion is the fact that people don't realize that it's an illusion. So, you know, and our political uh-huh. system is the same because it's the sure. illusion of choice. When you break it all down, so right anyway. Mm-hmm. Sorry, again, yeah. not a political podcast, but it does tie back into the fact that the, it's just that motive. The motive comes from a it's it's not a unpure place. Like no, people no. want, they just sure. want to yep. do more.
0: It is the the Jeffersonian ideal for this country was a yeoman republic. That is, you know, Jefferson believed and and there's a lot of criticism justifiably for Jefferson. But in this, I think, you know, he has a what is a good idea, not that's never practiced. The idea that every that the only way to ensure independence in this country was for everyone to be kind of an independent yeoman, uh, yeoman farmer. So you would grow enough crops. You would need forty acres. You would grow enough crops to survive um, on your own. You have your shotgun, your frying pan. You can tell the world to go to go to hell, um, and that that independence was what would guarantee the success of the nation. That that if you had, if everyone had land and was able to sort of, you know, enough land to survive, like enough land to survive, so that you could grow a little extra and trade with your neighbors who had skills. Right? right. So you you could you could sort of that bartering. no one, right? right. But then no one. It wasn't even bartering. It was like markets. I mean, they believed in the idea of a market, but it was more just like that. Everyone's equal independence would itself be the regulation of the market because like, because yeah, this guy shoes horses, but it, but by doing that, he's not able to grow enough food. So you have you trade on equal terms, right. and everyone. The idea that everyone would have kind of their forty acres and. You know, so so it's okay if somebody has 200 acres or 400 acres because it doesn't really matter because you are still independent. They can't influence your vote. They can't make you support them in an election. You can't because you don't need them. And so you're like, again, Jefferson's high minded ideal was that the that then the republic would succeed because no one kind of buy a vote because you didn't because if everyone is actually truly independent you couldn't really sway people to buy your, by their vote, right? Like you would actually have to be a good candidate. Like the things that you propose would have to be things that improve people's lives. But of course it has never been the case that that there was like a brief moment, maybe in new England where that was the case, like where there really was kind of a very small scale yeoman Republic in new England, but the growing season is so short and you know, it's like, and Rocky soil and everything else that like, you know, it doesn't really work. You know what I mean? Very quickly, all the good land is gone. And, and then you're like, well, okay, so now what, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like now, now what yeah. do you do? Cause now there's too many people and all the good land is gone. Um, and whatever. So yeah, absolutely. The small business entrepreneur is the yeoman farmer. I mean, it's the same, same idea. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's the, uh, again, I really love, I had a professor who used to say that, you know, like the whole idea is that you have your shotgun, you got your frying pan, and, you know, you got your land, you could tell the world to go to hell. And it's it's very true, except only in theory. It's never really been, a, it's never actually, it's never actually been true for meaningful numbers for a long enough time, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and for me, like listening as a listener to this normally, and I'm a guest this time, right? But as a normal listener, I sit back and I listen to you guys go at it. And it's like, I can see both sides of this point. Sure. And I, and he's very tame. Quite frankly, Mm. because there's been things that I've had to do personally as a part of my job, but also a a different recollection, if you will, from business, if you will, at the upper level. Sure. And and there are books written about how CEOs and sociopaths are like a chromosome apart, like or whatever, like they're 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 not that. They may not be the right terminology, but psychopath test. Yeah, they are literally that tight, and it's. I identify with a lot of it because it makes sense, Yeah. but then, but I'm not factoring in people. Right. And that's the side sure. of me that brings, brings it back home as I'm like, wait a minute, but that's just, there's still people at play here. Like if you break, right. break it down to just data, then it's easy. Sure. But the minute you start bringing people into it, that's where it goes off the rails. And, it, right. and so as a listener looking at you guys, I'm sitting there going, eh, I actually get what Mike's saying. I, sure. I totally pick up on what he's saying. And I've told you this numerous times. You guys miss each other too, right? yeah. You're, you're, there's a, a wedge, a void between you guys sometimes, yeah. and yeah. it's like, no, I get the void. I I understand what you're both saying, and I and sure. It's like, it's just interesting, though.
0: So, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, go on okay.
1: educate. Go on educate me, please. <laughs> no, no,
0: no, no, no. I'm that's, cheesing, that's, but you no, get it. No, no, yeah. absolutely, no, absolutely. I mean, I push back on him a lot of times, and I and I leave a lot on the table too because I don't want to get into a. A, a deep, you know, philosophical, uh, you know, argument about humanity.
1: Well, it's Mike we're talking about, so Let's get... big number okay. two. No, okay. I'm just going. <laughs> okay, not in that part. Uh, no, 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 That's that, a, that, yeah. was, that
0: one was cruel.
1: That was just for him. No, come on, hey, <laughs> no, no. he sent me that picture this week. Yeah, I yeah, yeah. oh, I know, I know. <laughs> but,
0: but the, this is the point that I'm always trying to make about, like, and again, you know, it's just like, yeah, like yes but what about the human cost I mean that sort of is always the question at the back of my mind is like well what about the human cost like what you know what does this mean for the overwhelming majority of us that are never going to be mm-hmm. the CEO of, of JP Morgan or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> alright uh-huh. <laughs> the last thing I said was about like the Pikes Peak life insurance and we were basically <laughs> like, talking about like marketability right
1: yes you, you also just became Paul Harvey because you're like now for the rest of the story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like... oh no, yeah no. For, <laughs> for our
0: unbalanced listeners, we've been talking for like two hours completely off script. So so we have gotten a little bit off topic. I cut the it un- all out
1: to save you. <laughs> the, okay. the unedited uh, version will yes. be posted secondarily. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're we're entering hour seven of the no, uh, of the recording. Uh, okay, so. um, you know, you got all this marketing of Pike's Peak stuff. Uh and newspapers abandoned caution. By Christmas of eighteen fifty-eight, people were like newspapers were like breathlessly wow, that was a lot of wind. Breathlessly boosting <laughs> migration.
1: Uh I in said fe- breathlessly, at least, so that, that <laughs> at least at least fits.
0: <laughs> automatopoeia. Uh by like accidental automatopoeia. Um in February eighteen fifty-nine, the Hannibal Messenger, that's Hannibal, Missouri. Uh, poetically wrote, quote, Hurrah for Pike's Peak, where the breezes of heaven waft the glittering dust on their far-sweeping wings, where rank is unknown and no station is given, to men in whose veins flows the tide of kings, who cares for the bliss which society gives, or the love which we find at our hearthstones alone. Society spurns him who moneyless lives and bears in his pockets no rocks of his own, end quote. I... Whoa. <laughs> yeah first off you got an editor there at the uh, Hannibal messenger that thinks he's freaking Shakespeare but I love there, there's so much in that poem to unpack what's so great about the west he's saying is that rank you know personal rank uh class status is unknown and no station is given so it's basically like you can go out there and like we've said before yeoman republic this thing you can by the sweat of your brow you know actually gain independence right there's an opportunity to gain independence through the sweat you know the thing here is that it's implying is that it's meritocracy but it's really not it's like through the sweat of your brow and the luck of your claim you know you can you can gain independence but still the the idea that there's no kind of social rank out there is is itself an appealing component and i love this idea that like um, society spurns him who moneyless lives. Like it, even then, you know, you get this idea of like, like society shits on poor people. Yeah, you know I mean, like that's that's right there. Bear and bears in his pockets, no rockets, uh, no rocks of his own. You know what I mean? Like this idea that like, you know, um, that if you go out, that if you go out west, you have an equal opportunity with everybody else. But society does spurn those that don't find gold, that don't have any rocks of their own. That
1: you know. That don't get rich. Isn't that naive, though? Like to think that there's not layers to society. It's pure boosterism,
0: and no, I don't think it's naive. Yeah. I think that you can have a you can have a classless society. We just don't. How? I mean, you know, there there will be a guillotine involved, but uh, but we can. So poem poem poem. The occasional right? editor is that again? As poem poem <laughs> poem. The, okay. Uh, The occasional newspaper editor suggested that gold finds were exaggerated, uh, engineered by land speculators or by big businesses. But overall, optimism reigned. Hundreds of guidebooks were sold, some of them providing reasonably accurate information. But many, if not most, simply boosted towns as starting points or as way stations you know, that was like the whole point. You, you'd like sell a guidebook to try and get people to to take off from one town or stop at one town on the way or whatever. Um, but uh, some of them were completely incompetent. Others were completely fraudulent. And some just simply lied. Uh, for example, some guides had maps showing Fort Atkinson, uh, which had been closed five years by the time they found Golden, Colorado, uh, and Bent's Fort located, saying that the maps would show them located at Smoky Hill and Sand Creek, even though uh. both We're far to the south of that uh, on the
1: Arkansas Trail. Yeah, I live in Smoky Hill. Oh, do you? Oh, interesting.
0: We've got a couple of Smoky Hill references throughout this thing, if I can ever
1: get to them. (laughs) You're going to have fun editing this.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. It's going to be a nightmare. We're like, all right, click, split clip, and then listen for an hour.
1: I told Don, I told my wife, I go, Half of my role is just to poke the bear <laughs> and, I, and I poke real well. Yeah, you do. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, I have, I'm notorious. I've always been so like, I can't, I can't. When you drop a breadcrumb, I have to pick it up. You, you know what I mean? I I, I, I know this uh, about you. Yeah, yeah, yes, part. I know. And you are manipulating it to great effect. I, I got it. I got it. Um. Um. Right. So getting to the jumping off points for the trip west could be harrowing by itself. The only direct connection to the Missouri River was the Hannibal and St. Joseph Railroad. And this should sound vaguely familiar given the news lately. The rail line was rushed to completion to accommodate the 1859 rush. And it was nearly condemned, huh? Fake. Would you say? Yeah. It was nearly (laughs) condemned by the Missouri Public Works Board. The grades were too steep, the cuts were too narrow the trestles and bridges unsafe to hold the weight of the train. One, one uh, uh were wrote in 1864 quote, it beggars description. It seemed as though it was built in a hurry and had not been repaired since when it rained the mud in or out of the cars had little difference, difference as to the depth End quote, that's a great quote. <laughs> Things were so bad that when the train derailed, he thanked the fates because, quote, it gave us a good opportunity to sleep, which we needed, end quote. <laughs> I love that. Like, look, man, when it rains, there's no difference to the depth of the mud in the train or out of it. Uh, like, it's pretty bad. Um, steamboats buried migrants from St. Louis to various starting points as well. A Leavenworth paper uh, reported 1,000 people disembarking daily in 1859. Men shot at wild ducks and geese for fun, they gambled, they got into fistfights, and I want your response to this. One passenger wrote of his quartermates, quote, one man drunk and robbed, one threatened to shoot another, and that one was myself. End quote. So I've read this quote like fifty times. Okay, so he's he's in he's in the quarters. One of the men is drunk and was robbed. And then he says one threatened to shoot another, and that one was myself. So the question is
1: How many is, men are in this conversation? This is my first question.
0: What about the people in like in the train quarters? So it's three of them, right? So one man threatened to shoot and shoot another one, and then there's one man who's drunk and got robbed.
1: So there's three of them. So here's the question. So so one got drunk and robbed. Right. And then it's one possible It's possible to pull this story off it too.
0: Mm. Yeah, but I don't think so because I don't think he would have written it that way. It is possible that one man was drunk and robbed and also threatened to shoot another, the other one. But here's the thing that I want to know. One threatened to shoot another and that one was myself. Is he saying he's the one that threatened to shoot somebody else? Or is he saying that he's the one that was threatened? That sentence does not make it clear to me. Like, I think it's way funnier if he's like, and one man threatened to shoot another one. And that man was me. <laughs> like, I threatened to shoot. Like, things were so bad. Wait,
1: did he threaten to shoot himself? Like, that could be an even another layer.
0: No, because he does say another.
1: Threatened to shoot another. Well, but, we don't know. It's pretty, it could have been running it's, wild. That's true. That's true. But I
0: love that uh, I love that quote, because I'm just like, is he saying that Like things were so bad he threatened to shoot the guy? And then he doesn't say who robbed the other man. Like the assumption I is robbed, that it's the other I person. I robbed
1: myself and shot myself because of robbing myself. Threatened to shoot myself. Right. I, <laughs> I can't believe you uh, did that. How dare you do that to me? Yeah. Right. 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 <laughs> By the way, also would be helped if this were a visual medium.
0: <laughs> yes, it, I, I know. I know. There are a couple of those things, but like, uh, what can you do? By the way, the time thing—I was like, the, t- <laughs> yeah. the sun goes like this. It doesn't go like this. That oh no,
1: the- that's why I texted you. I'm like, by the I way, I get it, but that didn't work for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 in, yeah. Anyway, whatever. I should have fixed it, but uh, I should have fixed it in post with a little, uh, you know, in this clip, I, I was showing him
1: a sweeping arm versus a ticking. Oh, I love that you have the lingo down already. I should have oh. fixed it in post.
0: Mm. <laughs> yeah indeed um okay so the spring fall and the rains made the planes a soggy muddy mess i know wagons uh sank to their wheel
1: hubs yeah i mean i'm i'm sorry it's not the
0: same thing but uh, by, the way, but I'm, I'm, by the, I'm, the way
1: for the for the non-visual medium i am a third of the bottle into a brand new bottle where i finished a quarter <laughs> of a previous bottle And we're just rolling. We're rolling. rolling. (laughs) Like Uh, a millionaire. Go on. (laughs)
0: uh, The spring fall and rains made the plains a soggy, muddy mess. Wangs, wangs, wagons sank to their (laughs) wheel hubs. In some border towns, as many as 10,000 people swelled the population waiting for the grass to green. Everywhere in border towns, masses of people lived cramped together in wretched conditions as they waited for the right time to set out. The economic circumstances of the migrants were revealed in these border towns. A reporter noted, quote, those who are flush purchase cattle, mules, and wagons, and they go well provided. The next class takes the handcart and wheelbarrow, while the poorest, and I fear the most numerous, take it on foot, end quote. Excuse me. Six months' rations were recommended for the journey, and at least uh, at least one revolver. Even though, as one diarist noted, no more than one man in a dozen could shoot someone from 20 paces. Uh, As people massed along the border, 600 miles west along the South Platte and Cherry Creek, men were building saloons and grog shops, putting up stores, and laying out roads in preparation of the coming hordes. An army of Argonauts more than triple the size of the one that defeated Mexico and opened the land in the first place. More than 100,000 people took to the Overland Trails that spring. Exceeding even the number during the California hysteria, migrants were overwhelmingly male. Uh, Council Grove, Kansas tallied all the traffic through town in March, reporting 5,214 male and 220 female migrants, along with 7,400 oxen and 1,000 horses and mules.
1: And that's why it's called Menver. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: most most people walked or took turns we're going to talk about about women later but uh
1: i don't think we're going to talk about them today misogyny yeah the misogyny
0: (laughs) rundown with mike um (laughs) most people walked or took turns riding in wagons uh there were also some wild attempts at technological innovation and i like this is one of those stories that I probably shouldn't include because it means nothing, but I found it really fascinating. So, uh, for example, uh, a couple of guys uh, invented something called the Prairie Motor. It was a steam powered vehicle. The front wheels were six feet in diameter. It burned a cord of firewood every eight hours and it promised to carry 25,000 pounds and travel at a comfortable, Four miles an hour. Now, just for the record, people walk about three miles an hour. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's
1: efficiency
0: with people on foot. But it is carrying twenty five thousand pounds worth of stuff. So that's the big, uh, the big draw there. Uh, so, a fireman, an engineer, and a pilot were on board the Prairie Motor when it set out on its major, on its maiden voyage from Nebraska City in July, never to be seen or heard from again failure notwithstanding (laughs) (laughs) the vehicle reflected a belief that technology would lead to human mastery over nature. So basically we're back to alchemy with Isaac Newton, right? Like humans, humans will figure out how to master nature someday with science Uh, or
1: whatever. Master water. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs)
0: Fantasies aside though, uh, the journey was incredibly hard. Rivers (laughs) dried up in spring. And when the rivers dried up, it left very few landmarks for people to uh to mark their journey and this is this is this right here is kind of crazy this is like some some interesting stuff so um for a wide open space the planes are really easy to get lost on which is really surprising because you would think you know it's it's quote unquote flyover country right it's all just flat uh you know you shouldn't be able to get lost there
1: yes, you should there's well, nothing there well but <laughs> when you're in a
0: group what i mean is when you're in a group you know, you It's wouldn't all think, brown. I know.
1: Hey, oh, look! I see a tumbleweed. Wait, it's well, moving. Where do I yeah, go from here? Right. <laughs> well,
0: so all the way back to Coronado and his uh, expedition, one of his conscripts wandered away from a hunting party and was permanently lost in just a matter of minutes. A private under uh, Edwin Summers Sumner's command uh, the year before the gold rush got lost near the Arkansas River. They found him uh, a week later. But in just that week he was stark raving mad completely naked and he was frantically stuffing grasshoppers in his mouth and like refused to listen to uh, to the guys that were there to rescue him going like dude stop mm-hmm. stop doing that like we have we have like actual food and water and he just like just frantically just kept grabbing and stuffing grasshoppers in his mouth <laughs> In 1859 travelers arrived in Denver City hallucinating and frostbitten telling telling tales of severe hunger being tracked by wolves, members of their group disappearing, tales of woe, misery, and terror were common, but William Latimer Larimer laundered those stories as delightful tramps through nature in order to boost Denver City in the press. Some tales, however, couldn't be laundered at the end of May. The tragic tale of Daniel Blue was reported in Kansas Blue, his two brothers and four others, left for Illinois. Yeah, he's he's your boy, all right. You're my boy, Blue. <laughs> after three weeks, their pack horse ran off with most of their provisions. And after that happened, things got desperate quick. Three men went for help and were never seen again. Daniel, Alexander, and Charles Blue, along with an Ohioan named Solig, made a grim pact. The survivors would eat whomever died en route. Soleg died first, which, sorry, I have to stop for a second. And I'm like, you got three brothers and this random dude from Ohio. And then it's like, yeah, yes, Soleg died first. It's like, no shit. (laughs) Like, of of course he did. You got three brothers. (laughs) Like, I'm sorry, Soleg never stood a chance. Like, Soleg, Soleg should have made a run for it because there's no way the brothers were going to, like, let one of their one of them die before uh before poor Solik. I can't imagine, but whatever. We only know uh we only know this story from a certain account. So uh anyway. <laughs> anyway, Solik died first. The brothers ate him, but they ate him very inefficiently. They left and, and and lost much of Solik because they like I don't know, I guess it's hard to eat a person. Daniel recalled quote it went very hard against our feelings. End quote. So, like, I get it. So they like they wasted a lot of the 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 guy. They wasted a lot.
1: I would they say to... they're not using the right seasoning. That's all.
0: Well, I mean, but it's it, this is this is true of like all of these stories that come out when it's like uh, when people have to resort to cannibalism is like the first person usually they do a really crap job of eating them because they're like it's they're so repulsed you know they can't get over it like even though they're starving they're still like. It's a person. He's a guy that's been on us, been with us on this trip. Um, so they're like, like, they're not thinking I'm, like, yeah.
1: I'm like stuck in crocodile Dundee right now. meat's eh, garlic.
0: Yeah, there you go. That's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. But you know, it's true. Like once you eat the first person, I think it probably gets easier.
1: Uh, so anyway, so Is next, that how that works?
0: I think so. I think so. After, then you become a Wendigo.
1: You travel across. You travel across the plains in a RV. That's exactly right.
0: In a in a Wendigo bago. <laughs> After Solig, uh Alexander died, the surviving brothers ate some of him immediately, and they packed the rest of their brother for later. They got more efficient. You see, uh, they figured out that, like, you know, you eat the awful first. Uh, because That's that right. goes bad first and the, the not, muscles not the
1: can... not the awful but the awful right.
0: yeah i know it's awful but i like awful
1: <laughs> i'm glad you know what awful is
0: yeah well i like to call it the awful awful <laughs> even though i know it's awful it doesn't matter i like calling it the awful awful anyway um so yeah you know you eat the the awful first and then you pack the, the muscle for later because it'll it'll last a little bit longer and maybe you can yep. dry some of it out as jerky or whatever. You can have a little Alexander jerky later on. Once Alexander was consumed, Charles died next. Daniel ate most of his brother before an, Arapia, uh, an Arapaho found him <laughs> and took him to the nearest stage station. Daniel Yummy. was... Yes. Daniel was <laughs> skeletal. He was nearly blind and like deranged, as you might imagine. Um, I mean, that's the least surprising part of the story is that he was deranged. Yeah, He was uh, taken from the stage station to Denver City, where he told his kind of harrowing tale. The last part of the trail where Daniel relied on cannibalism was kind of named Starvation Trail. Terrifying as it was, Blue's tale did not slow the rush of people. The surge in white folks crossing the plains led to another horror. In March 1859, one migrant wrote, quote, Last night, Rogers cut down a lone cottonwood tree high up in the branches was tied a dead Indian. On my protesting that such sacrilege would bring down the whole, the whole Sioux nation upon us. He replied that he was going to have a fire if he had to fight every Indian on the South Platte. As the tree struck the ground, bones, blankets, red okra, and trinkets flew in all directions, Despite the bubbling frustration among indigenous people, Before 1859, relations between overlanders and Native Americans were generally good. As late as 1858, settlers reported uh, the numerous Kiowas, Comanches, and Cheyennes crowding the roads were universally friendly and helpful. But the flood of settlers, beginning in 1859, strained resources and caused tensions to flare. Americans remember these people as pioneers, settlers migrating for the glory of the nation, settling a vast open wilderness. But to indigenous groups who owned the land by treaty, they were invaders, not unlike Russians taking Crimea or Germans annexing the Sudetenland or Americans picking a fight with Mexico to expand slavery. Two competing visions of the West were colliding in real time. The future stories told and written would determine how these events were remembered and by whom. And, Garrick, that is a good place to stop for the day, because I like (laughs) to end on a high note something positive like invading cannibalistic hordes
1: and because i know it cut the thin i'm like sitting here going
0: what the fuck is red okra
1: have i tasted That's, this i kind of want to taste this
0: <laughs> no not okra ochre.
1: oh you said okra and okra, i'm like, sorry is red okra
0: yeah I'm dye. Like, it's a red dye sorry i know but okra. i'm
1: like but i'm like oh kind of slimy Ochre is kind of delicious.
0: It's sorry my bad. at
1: the same time.
0: Red ochre, ochre, the the the, the dye.
1: We have to start over.
0: <laughs> welcome to Unbalanced History.
1: <laughs> and you got another clip. <laughs> it's like we have to start over. And welcome to Unbalanced <laughs>
0: Uh So, Mike, are you there, Mike? Mike?
1: Nope. He's not here yep. still.
0: Uh well uh so Mike, where can you find where can the good people find us in the algorithms? Okay.
1: Uh well, I guess I'll 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 do it for your okay. reference to South Park. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Perfect. You can email us at, at unbalanced views at gmail. You can tweet at me at uh tweet at us at views unbalanced uh at Twitter. On the rare occasion that I'm there, uh, I'm I, I there less and less these days, but that's okay. And you find us on all of your favorite uh, podcast apps. Um, and pretty soon, we'll have a Patreon. I hope uh, people are enjoying this. I need to, uh, you know, promote that probably at some point. All right. Uh, thanks so much uh, for listening. Please like, subscribe, and leave a five-star review if you like what we're doing and garrick thank you for joining us again delightful having you it would have been that's uh me. would have been really bad with no mike and no garrick it would have just been me screaming into the void
1: a little monotone that's for sure
0: but instead we've got uh four five hours worth of uh, content <laughs> that i gotta trim down to <laughs> something manageable so thank you for that
1: <laughs> happy to, help. <laughs> if, happy if, to if, help
0: if only the good people at home knew um <laughs> <laughs> no idea the amount of work this man has created for me yeah.
1: all right anyway thanks fault. for yeah 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 i've liked him it's it's probably my fault <laughs> he made he made me think sorry
0: <laughs> <laughs> on that note thank you for listening bye I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Up yours, woke moralists. We'll see who cancels
1: who. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, shit. oh. <laughs>